Welcome to the Reset Podcast. I'm Liz Tran, an executive coach to founders and CEOs of fast-growing tech companies. And I attribute my success to my spiritual practices, which are rooted in mindfulness and Zen Buddhism. In this podcast, I combine business advice with spiritual lessons to help you lead a courageous, authentic, and fulfilled life. Hi, everyone. It's Liz here, and I am really excited because tomorrow is the fall equinox, which officially rings in fall, gives the official end of summer. And it's a really magical time because this is when daytime and nighttime are equal. Obviously, in the summertime, there's more daylight than there is night. And the winter, there's far more darkness than there is light. But here we are at this magical time of the year when daylight and darkness are equal and we are finding balance in the world and finding balance in ourselves. And for me, I've always loved these equinoxes, whether it's spring equinox or fall equinox, because it's so nice to have a biannual demarcation point when you can take stock of where you are and who you are. Of course, sometimes do this regularly at our places of work. You know, we have quarterly reviews and annual performance conversations and whatnot. But these days I work for myself. And so I actually don't have a manager who's doing performance reviews with me. And I have to really focus on being intentional and giving myself that feedback. And I use these points in time to really consider what am I doing? Is this aligned with my broader purpose in life? This is really the best use of my time. And I think that the fall equinox is a really wonderful point in time to do that because it's this energy of going inward. If you think about the summertime, summer's extremely outward energy. It's about being out with your friends, out on the town. It's traveling. It's going on vacation. It's about exploration and adventure. Whereas we get to fall And that is the transition period as we head into winter, which is extraordinarily inward. Winter is all about restoring, hibernating, staying at home, being with your thoughts and your emotions, figuring out your feelings and reflecting on them before you move on to spring, which is all about outward action. So think of fall as this transition period between a very energetic and externally facing summer and then a very inward and introspective winter. And so I love the fall because I think of it as the bridge of intentionally saying, okay, I was operating in one energy in the summertime, being out and about, et cetera. I know that in winter, I'll be doing the opposite of that. So how can I use this short season of fall to find balance, to change whatever I need to change in my life so that I feel really prepared and very ready for this introspective winter that I'm going to have. And, you know, fall is the season of change. It's when the leaves change color. It's why it's so beautiful. Reds and greens and yellows. It's when animals start to change the way they look too. You know, rabbits who are brown in the summer to match in with the trees and the dirt, they start to turn white in the wintertime so they can blend in in the snow. This is when we have a lot of birds starting to migrate as well, heading south for the winter. So I wanted to focus today's podcast episode on something where I think all of us 
could focus on bringing a little bit of change. And that's about embracing our authenticity. How authentic do you feel? How true to yourself do you believe your life is? If the answer is that there's still some progress to be made, then tune in and let's explore that conversation here because I think every person, no matter how confident they are in themselves or how well they think they know themselves, can all do more to really embrace the person who you are. And I wanted to first thank Zaina, who is a listener of the podcast, for suggesting this topic. Zaina, you suggested this a few weeks ago and I was waiting for the right moment. It feels now with the fall equinox, it's just the perfect, perfect time. So thank you for sending that over. And for other people who are listening, always feel to let me know what topics you're interested in and you want to hear me explore because it's most fun for me when I'm sure I'm giving you guys exactly what it is that you need. Okay, first I want to talk about why is this even a thing? Why are we going to be spending 30 minutes talking about authenticity and embracing who you are? And the first thing I want to say is because our society actually makes it really hard for us to love ourselves just as we are. Kids are actually at their peak confidence levels when they're six years old because very quickly after that, their brains start to pin themselves to paying attention to what other people think. So kids, when they're seven and eight, they start thinking for the first time, okay, what do people think about me? How do I fit in? What do my teachers expect of me? How am I supposed to behave in this social setting? And that shift from 100% inward world to more focus on external of what other people think actually creates a big drop in confidence. And so when you measure confidence in kids who are six compared to when they're eight years old, it actually drops pretty dramatically just because of this increased awareness and focus on what other people are thinking. And we're built like that as humans. Evolutionarily, we are meant to care deeply about what other people think. It is because when we were living in these early societies, humans couldn't exist on their own. You needed your family unit to farm with you. You needed your family unit to raise animals together. And if you were going after a big game animal, like let's say you wanted to take down a woolly mammoth or even a bull moose, something like that, you really had to work in a unit with your larger society together. And so we humans started living together, started raising our kids together, traveling in packs. And essentially, when we were hunter-gatherers, when we were nomadic, if you were ostracized by the group, then you would not be able to survive on your own. Literally, in these kin-based hunter-gatherer societies, if you were ostracized, it pretty much meant that you were being sentenced to death. And it was because cooperation was really, really necessary for these societies to be able to flourish. And it's similar now in terms of an emotional standpoint, right? None of us can go at it alone. We all have to do it together. But it is different because you don't have to necessarily fit in and everything doesn't have to be homogenous. If you are ostracized by some people around you, it might feel really hard, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're going to die within the next two weeks because you're not going to be able to procure food and shelter and safety for yourself. And so this is all to say that if you care a lot about what other people think, 
don't worry about it. That is so natural. It is literally biologically programmed into our minds to do so. But the downside of this is that we often feel like we cannot be who we actually are or we're prioritizing what people expect us to do over what we really want. And over the long term, that causes depression. It causes sadness. It's this feeling of disintegration with who you are. You know, you don't feel integrated with your core self. You feel really different from the person that you are on the inside from the person that you're presenting to the outside world. And honestly, that is one of the most painful things in the entire world. So I wanted to spend this episode giving you guys a toolkit and having a discussion about how we can all make efforts to let our authentic inner selves shine, how we can let ourselves speak up, be heard, be seen, and be loved for the person who you actually are. The first step to that is a mindset shift. And that mindset shift is about saying to yourself, same is not better. Being the same as other people is not better. If anything, different is good. I think a lot of us are raised not to believe this. We're raised to think that we should fit in, that we should belong, and that we should actually be the best out of everyone else who's competing for that same thing. But what I'm telling you guys here now is that the greatest people in the world didn't blend in. They stood out. Sometimes it meant that they were mocked and ridiculed and felt like they didn't fit in until they were able to find their people who loved and respected them as they were. But every single successful person's power lies from their ability to fully own who they are and to be unabashed about their talents and gifts. And I really love this for Lady Gaga. She really is a hero of mine where she didn't quite fit into any expectations of what a pop star should look like. And she didn't, you know, try to out Britney, Britney or out Christina, Christina Aguilera. She just said, I'm doing the best Lady Gaga that I can do. I'm not trying to be like everyone else out there. I'm not competing with them. It's not a competition between me and them because I am in a whole other league out on my own. So what I want all of you guys to do is break free of this expectation that you have for yourself that you need to not only fit in, but you need to be the best at whatever you're doing while you are fitting in. I completely disagree with this. I think everyone should march to the beat of their own drum. I think everyone should set up success in their mind for what that looks like, not paying attention to what other people think. And I think that we should all celebrate and be so proud of all the ways that we are different from everyone else. When I worked at this venture capital firm in New York, then I worked with all of these guys who had come from fairly privileged backgrounds who all went to either Harvard or Stanford. And at first I felt so insecure. I was like, okay, so I didn't go to Harvard or Stanford. In fact, I went to my state university, University of Virginia. I also didn't grow up with privilege. I actually grew up with the opposite. You know, we were really poor. We lived in government subsidized housing and I wasn't a guy. And I felt like totally inadequate and like the odd person out. And during my time of working there, I went from feeling so less than to feeling so above and beyond 
these other people that I couldn't stay there any longer because they were holding me down. And a big part of that was just in shifting the way I thought about myself, learning to embrace my background. I had always been ashamed of the fact that we grew up so poor. And these days, I am not anymore. I mean, was it an ideal childhood? Definitely not. But I did pick up a lot of resilience and a lot of the values that I hold today because of that experience. And for that, I am really proud. And also, I know that being poor is not something to be ashamed of. It is the reality of life for many people in the United States for many reasons outside of their control. You know, a lot of it is structural. A lot of it is race-based. A lot of it is about the rich being able to get richer. And it was also me learning that because I was poor, didn't mean that there was something wrong with me. We are never meant to feel flawed or broken because of the way that we grew up. And the reverse is true. Just because someone grew up with all the privilege in the world doesn't mean that they're perfect. Doesn't mean that they're not flawed or broken, right? When we embrace what makes us different, it emboldens us to feel pride to feel respect and to celebrate all of those things that are special and unique about us. Even if it's me celebrating the fact that I do know what it means to live month to month and to live hand to mouth and have to make really tough decisions like, do I pay my electric bill or do I buy groceries or do I buy new shoes because mine don't fit and have holes in them? Or do I pay for college and buy the books that I need for the semester? And that history that I have has informed so much of my mission in coaching. I'll never forget what it meant to me to have people believe in me and cheer me on even when I didn't have anything. And now I want to give that back through the podcast work, through the Instagram and a book that I'm writing. So this is all a very long way to say that the first step of embracing your authentic self is to realize that your differences are actually what empower you and make you special. And if you ever feel less than because you don't belong in a situation, then that situation is not worth your time at all. Now, the second step is for you to go on a journey to learn everything that you can about yourself. If you really want to embrace your authentic self, you first have to learn who that authentic self is. And oftentimes we don't really know because even who we think our authentic self is, is highly tied into the expectations of the people around us. So the first thing that I recommend you doing is going to get an astrology reading. (laughs) If you can find a great astrologer and learn more about yourself that way. I felt like when I had my first reading, I was seen for the first time. Suddenly, there was a precision of language and a vocabulary that was used to describe me that I had never heard before. And of course, I knew things about myself, like I'm social and outgoing and kind person, blah, 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 ambitious, hardworking. But with astrology, I learned so much more. In learning that I was a Capricorn moon, I then understood how systematic all my decisions have to be. And that when I am feeling emotional, whether it's happy or it's sad or upset, I immediately get into information gathering mode where I feel like I have to learn everything about the topic and I have to organize it in order to make a clear decision about what's happening. And I learned that as an Aquarius rising, an Aquarius sun and Jupiter and Mercury in Aquarius, I had a lot of Aquarius energy and so much of my power was meant to be 
and being contrarian and being quirky and unique and having a different perspective. And once I learned that that was actually a strength and not a shortcoming of mine, I could embrace it. Another big revelation I had was knowing that my 10th house was in Scorpio and your 10th house in astrology is your career house. And what that meant for me is that my work was supposed to have that Scorpio energy to it. And Scorpio energy is intense. It is psychological. It's about transformation and change. It can be dark sometimes, but it's really about this idea of nothing superficial. Scorpios just want to go deep, deep, deep to understand all the deepest, darkest, most significant machinations of what makes a person tick. And that is what I needed to do for my work. And all the kind of superficial stuff I was doing at this venture capital firm, it just wasn't a match for what I needed to be doing in the world. And now that I'm a coach and I do this podcast and the Instagram account and writing this book, it's all about grappling with some hard to look at topics. And it's about going deep, deep, deep into the soul's work. And I have never been happier, but I didn't realize any of that stuff before I had my first astrology reading. So go do that. And if price is a barrier for you, I highly recommend picking up a book called Astrology for Yourself. I think it's really good. I also like the Chani Nicholas book, you were born for this. So I would check out both of those. I think you could probably get the Chani Nicholas book from the library. The astrology for yourself book is a workbook that you can write in and you can learn all about the different houses and the different planets on your chart and learn what they mean about you. I also think doing the Myers-Briggs test online is a great way to get started too. It's really quick. There's a lot of free ones and you can read about yourself. I also think doing the Enneagram is really powerful. I really dove into the Enneagram. I probably have read 10 books about the Enneagram and I got super, super into understanding my type. So I'm a seven on the Enneagram and I learned that how I grow is by committing to some things for the long term. And that really changed everything for me. I think the Enneagram also helped me see what my gifts and my talents were, but it also helped me identify when I was using those gifts in healthy ways and when I was using them in unhealthy ways. So for instance, one of my gifts is that I am highly enthusiastic when it comes to learning new things. So I pick new things up quickly. I really dive into them. But the downside of that is that I often do that when I'm escaping pain from the thing that I'm currently doing. So when things start to get hard or tough or challenging, I immediately turn my attention to something else that's new and fun and doesn't have those challenges yet. The Enneagram helped me understand that a healthy way of funneling my strong seven energy is to stay with that original thing, but make it new and fresh and to also embrace the fact that there are ups and downs and there are challenges in every journey. So learn about your astrology, learn about your Enneagram, do the MBTI Myers-Briggs profile and whatever else strikes your fancy. Oh, I also love human design. That was something that I found really useful. I think you can do a human design profile type thing online for either free or close to free. And then I recommend uh, this Instagram account of Erin Claire Jones. She's great about teaching you more about human design. There are a couple really good human design books and websites out there as well. So I'll link to all the stuff in the show notes, but those are the big four, human design, astrology, Enneagram, and Myers-Briggs that I think can really help you explore who you are. Okay. And then lastly, once you've done the first two steps, then 
there's one last step. And that is about changing your behavior. So noticing when it is that you're people pleasing, when it is that you're altering your behavior when you're around other people, and then you just stop doing it. For me, this was always really hard because as I imagine many of you guys are who are listening, am a very natural empath. So I feel like when I'm interacting with another person, I can often very much pick up on their emotions and their feelings. And it's pretty transparent to me what it is that they're experiencing. Plus, I start to feel that way myself too. So if I'm around someone and they're telling me a sad story, I'll start crying even before they do. Or if they're telling me about how excited they are about this new job in this new industry that I know nothing about, then I'll get really excited about it too. And I'll get really curious about that industry and I'll go home and I'll research it. So I am highly susceptible to other people's feelings and thoughts because I am such a big empath. And I've had to learn to really identify between what's happening with the people around me and what I want for myself. And that's only come about from doing lots of practice and learning more about what it means to be an empath. I like to think of the visual image of a tree, a really powerful tree with deep, strong roots. When I'm thinking about what it means to maintain your authentic self in any situation. So imagine a tree, really big, amazing, majestic tree And it has these really deep roots that run all underground that keep it planted to where it is. And then it has a strong, steady trunk and then a bunch of branches and leaves at the top. And so in any sort of weather situation, whether it is gale force winds, giant snowstorm, whatever, the tree always stays where it is. It doesn't fall over, doesn't think, wow, I can't do this. I should just get up and give up. It stays as a tree and it stays where it is. But its branches definitely do bend with the elements outside. You know, we've all seen trees that grow toward the sunlight. So their branches are all reaching in one direction because maybe the sun only lands in that corner of where they live. I definitely see this with all the plants in my house. I have a ton of plants that my husband takes care of and he's really, really good at them, but they all grow reaching towards the windows where the sun is and they're not symmetrical. And sometimes it looks like they're about to topple over and they allow themselves to change in that way and to be influenced by external environments, but they never, ever, ever let go of the sturdiness that comes from their roots. And so I think of the same thing for you. Know what your roots are. Know what makes you really powerful and strong and know what absolutely cannot shift. And of course, if the situation warrants it, you can bend and sway with the wind, with your branches, but trees never pull up their roots and give up. No matter how bad the weather is, the tree just bends and sways with it, makes some compromises, makes some changes in order to survive in that environment. But the tree always stays a tree and its roots are always strong. And so I think of it that way where I have become really clear about what my values are. 
The other day I was trying to make a decision about whether or not I should go to this social gathering. And there were going to be a lot of people there who are quote unquote, very cool and very well known. And I kind of thought, well, maybe I should go to this thing so that I can be in these social media posts or these pictures or meet, you know, these kind of famous people, whatever it might be. But I also was in the midst of writing and I wasn't really feeling that well. I think I was coming down with a cold and I thought, okay, if I'm making this decision in a vacuum, who cares what other people think or what they know, what would I do? And of course the answer would be to stay home and take care of myself and to focus on my big writing project that I have coming out soon or not coming out soon, but that has, I've been making a lot of good progress on, and it's a really, really important time in this book right now. And so I decided to stay home. And then the next day I was a little bit jealous because everyone had so much fun. And it's kind of this amazing experience where these people who I thought are kind of at the top of their game were all there and they were all having fun and bonding together. But also I made the right choice for me. I didn't modify my behavior based on what other people would think was cool or the right decision to make. I did what was best for me. And it's the same thing when I'm around other people. Even though I can tell what it is that they want me to say or what would make them comfortable, I really have learned to stop myself and just say the thing that makes me comfortable. And of course, none of this is to encourage you to be a jerk or to never think about other people or to make decisions that are hurtful or insensitive to the people around you. But this is more for you folks out there who are already thinking about other people all the time. And I'm just telling you, you don't have to do it as much. You can put yourself first. You can be the main character of your own story and you don't have to be embarrassed or feel guilty about it at all. So I've never met my dad before and it was always so uncomfortable when I was a kid and people would say, oh, what do your parents do for work? You know, new friends I'd meet on the playground, whatever. And I'd say, oh, my mom, she's like a paralegal. She works at a lawyer's office sometimes. And then I would just make something up for what my dad did because it was just felt too crazy and too much to say. I've never met my dad. I have no idea where he is. And I don't even know what his job is because I don't know his name. So I just started inventing things because the lie made people feel more comfortable and made me feel more comfortable than the truth did. And as I got older, I continued to do that. I continued to lie about having a father, even though I didn't have one, never met one, because it made me feel so uncomfortable to have other people feel uncomfortable if I were to tell them the truth. And what I realized when I got to my 20s and I started telling people the truth was that it's totally fine. And the people who felt uncomfortable about it weren't the right people to have in my life. Eventually, I got comfortable enough that people could read that it was okay. I had made my peace with it. And so I would just tell people right off the bat, even if I was just meeting them for the first time, because I was tired of hiding my truth. And one of the most memorable times when I did this was when I met my husband's parents for the first time. And at that point, we had only been together for maybe about six months or so. And I was coming home to visit his family and meet his mom and dad for the first time. And they are from literally the most wholesome place the whole world, literally none of his friends from high school and elementary school have divorced parents. Whereas I think all my close friends have divorced parents pretty much, maybe 75% of them. And 
he has this giant, giant family and no one in his family had ever been divorced. So it was this whole thing where I was in this very wholesome suburban house that's just so perfect, feels very like Stepford. And his parents said, oh, well, what do your parents do? And then I just said, you know, my mom kind of worked on on and off in uh, law firms doing secretarial and paralegal work, kind of part-time her whole life. And I've never met my dad before. And they don't know who he is. Their response to me was just so supportive and so embracing. But I was so terrified about saying it because, you know, I wondered if they might think we don't want our son to be with someone who has such a chaotic childhood and does her chaotic childhood mean that she's all messed up and has so much baggage to carry but it is who I am and if anything it has made me even have less baggage because I've spent years and years in therapy trying to work through all that crazy shit that happened to me so that is to say that no matter how uncomfortable you think other people will feel with your truth if you feel good about it and you own it that's honestly all that matters it really is I uh, told you guys last time I recorded an episode that I had this experience with this agent. Well, maybe I'll back up and give you guys the context. So I wrote a book proposal. It's a book called How to Go For It. And it essentially takes my coaching work and it puts it in book format. So it gives any person who is going after a bold dream, the support and guidance and tools that they need to be a huge success. And I'm trying to take everything I do for my clients and put that into a book that is affordable, accessible, because I think that there are way more people in this world who should be going for it and should be following their dreams than are actually doing it because of all sorts of effed up socioeconomic ceilings that are put on them, et cetera. So anyway, I wrote this book proposal and in the intro section, I talk a lot about myself and about my background because it is a very central piece of my story. And one of the first agents who read the proposal wrote me back and he very rudely said, why are you spending two pages talking about yourself when you should be talking about how you're going to sell this book? So I ignored his rudeness and then I went on to do some revisions for him that he asked for. And at the end of the day, he still wound up rejecting my book. And he basically said, hey, come back to me in three months, but I want you to work on X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. And I wrote him back and I basically was like, thanks, but no thanks. You really don't get the nature of this book at all. And he was basically this old white guy who was telling me to erase myself, even though this book is about me, written by me. And yesterday, I actually wound up signing with an agent, a literary agent, and she is wonderful and she's amazing. She's a really top high level agent who sold all these huge books and she really believes in me. We were having our conversation about what she wants me to change in the proposal so that when we go shop it to publishing houses, it has the best chance of selling possible. And she said, I actually want to see more of you in this. I want more you. You are what makes this book special. And it felt so beautiful to be seen for who I am and to know that my hardships And my challenges that I had when I was a kid, those are not anything to be ashamed of. This is what I'm writing my book about. 
The very basis of my book is about how hard it was as a kid and why I felt so hard for me for so long to go for my dreams because I never felt like anyone believed in me. It took me a really long time until I was in my 30s to believe in myself. And I want to help other people do it sooner than I did. And now I see so clearly that in this book that I'm writing, I get to celebrate and scream off the rooftops, this is me. I've never met my dad. I grew up in a crazy environment at home. I've been to therapy for almost 20 years. You know, these are all things that I have been so deeply ashamed of in the past. And to now feel how much power and wisdom insight they've given to me, such that I can now write a book that my agent really believes can be a massive bestseller. It's pretty cool. And all I have to say to that first agent is you can go F off. And I don't think I would have had the power and the ability to really feel that and not just sort of say it, but also really feel it in my bones if I hadn't done this work to really embrace my authentic self and to make a commitment to never let anyone else's expectations of me or anyone else's opinions of me impact my sense of pride in who I am. And I was rewatching Sex in the City the other day, and it was really funny where Carrie is like walking down the street and she's like, oh, I feel like that woman was staring at me. I feel like she was, you know, saying bad things about me. And then Samantha, who is just amazing, she says something like, oh, honey, if I thought about what every bitch in New York City said about me, I'd never leave the house. And I think that's kind of the spirit animal energy. It's like the less time you can spend thinking about what anyone else is thinking, the better. I feel like I have it almost down to 0% of my time. And I mean, of course, there's still moments when I go into a new room for the first time and I'm a little bit worried about the impression I'm making. And I think, oh, does my hair look right? Is my outfit nice enough? People going to like me here? But then I quickly replace that with who cares? All I have to do is show up and just be the best me possible. And that me is also inclusive of being a kind person. So I'll treat other people well. And that's the best that I can do. It's the only thing I should do. It's really the only thing that matters. So thank you guys for listening. I really hope that you take this fall equinox as a reminder to listen to yourself, to love yourself, and to say yes to life so life can say yes to you. I love you guys for listening. I love you guys for submitting topics that I can cover. And thank you so much for being here and being patient with this every other week schedule. Thank you guys so much. And I'll see you guys either next week or the week after. Bye. Bye.